I want it out, run it, run it, yeah, run it, run it, run it, run it. This is a production of Dirty Mode Media. I want it out, run it. Here they come for the final time. Here they come. Final call. Who will win the Daytona 500? Who will win? I want it out. Throws the block topside. Throws the block downstairs. This. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download with my co-host Mike Davis. We got Leah Vaughn in the house. Matthew Dillner. Our uh, guest today is going to be Marcus Smith. Uh, he owns a couple racetracks. It's going to be a lot of fun talking about his business and everything he's got going on. I've known this guy a long time, Mike. And uh, he's going to drop some pretty interesting stuff on us today. Good time to get yeah. him, too. I imagine he's probably uh, still trying to decompress after the weekend. Yeah. Because it was a, uh, what, what a weekend it was. Dale Earnhardt Jr. has won the Daytona 500. I want it out. Run it. Run it. It was um, pretty, uh, pretty wild, but I expected it to be. The Roval was uh, great last year. No reason why it wouldn't be good again this year. NASCAR threw a couple questionable cautions in that race. The spin on the in the back straightaway chicane, the 47 car where he didn't even come to a stop. Uh, the 17 car spinning in the back straightaway chicane. So they were trigger happy on that yellow flag, but um, it wouldn't have, you know, we wouldn't might not have had some of those moments uh, had we not had those yellow flags. How about um, Chase Elliott Ugh. getting uh, into the tire barrier there? And the tire barrier, man, what a great tire barrier. Good that tire is. barrier. Great they tire be, they barrier. Make over there in Charlotte. The Tums, heartburn <laughs> corner tire barrier um and then chase the funniest thing man he goes and uh drives it down into that tire barrier and does a burnout perfect it was perfect Perfect celebration yeah um and that's that's perfect chase elliott so remember like a year and a half ago chase elliott was just the hardest interview to listen to so hard on himself yeah so hard you know oh i gotta do better i ran second i'm awful and I knew as soon as he won a few races that the real chase would come out and he'd be more comfortable uh, in his own skin, and it's awesome to see. Well, when he wrecked out of the lead there uh, with 45 to go, I thought we were going to get old chase back. Yeah. I mean, because I, I felt like, oh, my God, well, if dude, he beats himself up before, this is going to be brutal. He had an amazing race car, super fast, and he drove a great race, and we got to see a very awesome celebration, funny uh, in a way. I love how humor he, there. Yeah, because you know he does the burnout and then and he gets out on the car and while then he, it's backing up. He emerges from yeah. the smoke. Perfect. It was just so <laughs> it was good. Beautiful. Yeah. So thank you, Chase Elliott, for uh, entertaining the hell out of us at the end of that race. <laughs> it was great. Uh, that's what you want. Perfect. Good job. Um, other things were also entertaining. Uh, Bubba Wallace and and uh, Alex Bowman. So again, uh, we didn't really get to see exactly why Bubba was mad at Alex uh, during while he's flipping him off. So apparently. You know, you see Bubba get spun out in the back straightaway wall. Alex took him out, put him in the put him in the fence. Alex said that Bubba was flipping him off that whole lap. For for three laps, he said. Or what, yeah, yeah um, for yeah. whatever. I don't know what Bubba was flipping him off for. Bubba yeah. could probably tell us that uh, if we got a chance to talk to him. Uh, he may tell the media at some point why he was aggravated with Alex in doing that. But it sent Alex over the edge. And me and uh, me and uh, Burton had a little conversation about that. Flipping somebody the bird for some reason is a massive trigger for mm, some guys. Really? Yes. So if you're driving down the street and you get flipped off, 
Could you imagine anything more intensifying as far as your anger? Could you imagine anything that a driver could do on the highway that would make you more angry than to get a bird? Mm. I can't. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, how, I, it, it happens so much to me that does I does it. <laughs> All right. Well, imagine if you're driving to lunch and somebody flipped you off. That's what I'm saying. No, Wouldn't I, you be I, so mad? Uh, you know, I to the point that I would go wreck them. Well, this is the highway. My okay, maybe this is a bad analogy. I shouldn't have asked you. So, well, what hurts. would you think? <laughs> so, the question that he has is: yeah. Is flipping the bird the worst thing that can no. happen on a highway? No. no. You got a, you got another one. I, I get the bird flipped to me all the time, like See, Mike. And, I, and if somebody cuts me off, then we're on. No, oh, you get you, you or, don't like getting cut triggered. off. Right, brake checked. How about that? Flipping that's, me off, me, I laugh. Brake checked. What? I yes. think it's funnier if you like give somebody the thumbs up. That's more annoying than the yeah. the bird because it's like super sarcastic. Really? Like you're doing a great job driving. Badge yeah. of honor, getting flipped right. off. I guess so, I'm more about the Kyle Petty approach, and Kyle Petty's like, God, it's a bird finger. Grow some <laughs> some skin. All right, layers of skin. You know. So there are there are some people that it doesn't bother. I know some drivers that. I flipped off because when I started racing, I didn't think flipping the bird was a big deal because I flipped my friends the bird and you know, everybody flips everybody the bird. No big deal, right? Right. And so there's a damn emoji, right? So right. <laughs> I flipped off Rusty Wallace and he let me know that that was the worst thing that you could do to him and that not to do that to him again. He That's like anything but flipping me the bird. Don't flip me the bird because that's serious business. You flip me the bird, we're going to have a real problem. And I want you to know it. Okay, so I think you bring up a point. I think it, uh, who flips you the bird matters. When you're talking, yeah, the reason why the highway is a bad analogy is that you don't know them. But Rusty right. Wallace getting a bird from you, the kid of his buddy or Good rival, point. would be very disrespectful. There you go, buddy. I think you nailed it. So yes. I did use a bad but, analogy. But, but your dad flipping a bird to Rusty, I mean, what's he going to, I mean, he may not like it. And I'm, I can't speak for Rusty. Rusty's his own weird yeah. guy. But But the fact is, is that, who delivers the bird might actually matter in how you receive it. There right? you go. That's a good uh, social media question. Um, yeah, that is a good one. So the, any, you know, the bird uh, got Alex upset. He, it, it flipped the switch in his mind, and he wrecked Bubba Wallace. Uh, they were around it. What? <laughs> no, keep going. They were, around, they were around each other a little bit, but nobody did anything else on the racetrack till pit road when the race is over with. Right? Right. So Alex is out of the car, and he's tired, hot. Uh, the medical staff is checking driver to driver, and there just happened to be at Alex while Bubba walked up, and Bubba threw water on him. <laughs> Harmless thing, not really a big deal. But Ooh, wasn't, that, it wasn't good that the, he did it while the medical staff was, was there, and I think she, a little bit majority of the water went in her direction. Am I right? I, I think the majority of the water, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that much water, but the fact is that the optics of it looked probably way worse than what the actual thing was. Yeah. But – if, so if the medical staff was not there and it was just Bowman who was visibly struggling when he as soon as he got out of the car, there was a great shot from NBC actually as he was climbing out of the car and he sort of takes his helmet off and goes right to the ground. If he was there by himself, is it still is, is it okay then? What do you think? Uh, was the presence of the medical staff the thing that made that wrong? It would have made him feel better. A little water, a little extra water. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he looked hot. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, he didn't I, throw hot coals on him. I mean, <laughs> that boy, that, yeah. that would have been something. That would have been way more offensive. It's like a pillow fight. <laughs> I think it's like a, it's like hit. You know, it's like big deal. Yeah. Um, I think people just want to give Bubba a hard time. 
Bubba's an emotional guy. We know that. Bubba yeah. is extremely emotional. And if you're going to get in the middle of something with Bubba or if you're going to have Bubba in a race and be a fan watching a, watching a show with Bubba in it, you've got to be ready to see some emotion. That's yeah. what that's, He wears it on his sleeve. So I think had we never seen anything like that out of Bubba or no emotion at all in him do that, you'd be surprised, taken aback. Absolutely. I wasn't. And, uh, you know, I think he can apologize to this lady or anyone else in the area that, that may be offended by that at the moment, and that'll, that'll take care of it. I think he will. I yeah. think that's, that, you know, I made a point on Twitter is that when he sees it and he's cooled off and he realizes what he did, he'll, he'll wish he had done it differently. And that might have actually played to his advantage yeah. because what I think he wanted to do was not deliver water to the face of Alex Bowman, but deliver something else to the face of Alex Bowman. And he was deprived of that in the manner in which he just, and in the timing in which he did it. That's a good point. I, I cringed when he did it, frankly. Yeah. When I saw him, I cringed. But I had a cool head and a lot of perspective, and I wasn't overheating. And I don't think Bubba Wallace had any of those things when in I, that moment. When I saw it happen, I didn't have any emotion. And so I'm trying not to allow the, the popular uh, opinion sway me to going, oh, yeah, that is wrong. You know right. what I mean? Because my right. initial reaction oh. when I saw it was, eh, I didn't think anything about it. I was just laughing maybe. It was a little humorous, right? Um, but now, you know, the majority of people are saying, oh, that's messed up. Bubba's a jerk. That's stupid. He shouldn't have done that. And that person, you know, the people that were there trying to help Alex and Alex was ill. Um, none of that ran through my mind, unfortunately. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I got you. You know, well. It, well, I mean, I think that uh, Steve O'Donnell came out and said this morning um, that it was that presence of the, the EMTs, the medical yes. staff, that made that uh, not so classy. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'm, I can subscribe to that, but I, I also too. am not going to go jump off a ledge on that. Yeah. If Bubba comes out of this and he just says, yeah, I wish I'd have handled that differently, I will never think another second about Good it. Good enough for it, me. It, it would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to sit there and brand him because I don't think anybody wants to be branded for their entire life based off how they are when they're not in their most sensible. Speaking of Alex Bowman. Uh, oh, yeah. Let's talk about Alex Bowman. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Um, Alex gets into it with Austin Dillon last week, right? Yeah. Uh, he made a dive into turn one to go three or I don't know, maybe it was even four wide. But anyways, he dove underneath the three car into turn one at Richmond. Uh, he told me that uh, Austin had spun his tires or whatever on the restart. I'm not sure about that, but that's what he, his side of the story is. They made contact down into turn one, and you know you can hear over the radio, if you haven't heard it, Austin Dillon's team is imploring him to get him back, get him back, get him back. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, which to me, I don't like that. I don't, I don't want any crew chief spotters or anybody on the radio telling a driver to uh, do anything out of the ordinary. Right. And uh, but they were like, get him back, get him back. So they're imploring, imploring Austin to retaliate, which he does, and it costs both those drivers because Austin turns the eighty-eight, then gets into the eighty-eight and hurts his car. So both, both, it didn't work out for either one of them. Um, it rarely does. And then they go into the media. Alex, uh, you know, says, "I don't take back anything I said about him being a silver spoon." Uh, and I'm not going to have to worry about racing around him anyways in which this race. Which is a dig. Which yeah. is a dig. Yeah. So they're both digging back and forth in the media, which is great. Uh, not <laughs> not a great look, you know, personally. If I'm that driver, um, I try not to keep fueling the fire. 
Because especially if you're if you're Alex, it's like focus on the playoffs. You got bigger things, yeah. Right. right. Don't worry right. about this right. this driver in this car. Go forward, and don't even mention. Don't continue to mention it. If somebody asks you a question about it, d- divert. You know. And he gets in. Okay, so Alex messes up in practice. Final practice, thirty minutes to go. Backs mm. his car into the tire barrier, and I'm like, God, what's going on? He qualified on the front row. They had to try to get stage points. They were in great position, like their teammate, William Byron, to get top 10 points, some points somewhere in the top 10 in that first stage, and that was going to set them up for for a pretty good day and continued to do that throughout the stages. And so now that he's going to a backup car, he can't do that. He has to start in the back. Stage one points are not an option. He right. almost still actually came close to getting some, but anyways, uh, he has to now look for stage two points, figure out how to position himself to get toward the front in that particular part of the race and yet again finish well so he's got a very challenging task for his crew to manage as far as strategy goes he's got a backup car that didn't have a lot of speed at the start of the race and now he's out there wrecking Bubba Wallace right (laughs) Right. after he'd spun out himself yeah yeah so yeah he got in a couple altercations on the racetrack um I think the, the one in turn one not really his doing he was kind of a uh, one of the dominoes in that crash. Right. But he spun on the front straight or the back straightaway at the start of the race, uh, misjudged uh, how much checking up there was going to be right. going in that first chicane. Right. And so just a just a mistake on his part there for sure. And then, but then later in the race, here he is, like when his mind should be on, I got to help my team. I got to help. You know, I I don't. It's easy for me to say in the moment here. I'm not in the car in the heat of the moment. But here he is, similar to messing around with Austin Dillon. Now his mind's on Bubba Wallace, and why is that? Right? It's a, he's in a, he's in a, he's, in a, he's trying to get into the next round of playoffs, and I was so frustrated personally with that because I'm thinking, man, it's this is the wrong this is the wrong spotlight to be in. If you're not going to make it into the next round, you damn sure don't want to be in the media or in the highlights for this. Right. All right. As soon as that happened, the next run on tires, he his car had really, really good speed. Um, I wasn't driving the car. Alex was, but it didn't appear to have great speed all day long. He couldn't pass anybody. He couldn't move forward. But then somewhere in the middle of that stage, that final stage, Greg and those guys gave him an incredibly fast car, and he was driving up through guys and passing guys and moving forward. And then that presented an opportunity to come get tires and put himself with an advantage on tires and a restart. I don't know where he was, 12th or 8th or something like that, but very close to the top 10. And I'm thinking, all right, time to mention this. So we're coming to a restart, and I said, guys, look where Alex Bowman is. He's got tires. He's had great speed over the last run. This is pretty interesting. This, I, thought he was, I thought he was out of it. Right. But he may be back in it. And sure enough, man, the kid drove all the way back up to second place. I said he needed to win. He didn't. Once the sixth car missed the back, sh- back straight chicane and was penalized, it took him out. Yeah, but nobody, everybody was thinking like you were, including myself. Yeah. There was no way that Alex Bowman was going to point him way into that. No. Because you just didn't – I mean, just, he had to win it. Yep. But just in as disappointed as I was in the theatrics of and the, and the, and the choices and decisions of, of Richmond to, to ha- the first half of the Roval – um, dang man, he dug himself all the way out of that hole, <laughs> oh. and now is going into the next round 
with uh, racetracks where he's run well at. I think he finished Can't, yeah. second in races Kansas. at all those tracks. So yeah. I don't know whether I need to apologize, but what I don't, I mean, well, no, no, I don't think you need to much like in a way, like I need to apologize to Ryan Newman because I didn't think he could run in the top five at Richmond. Right. I didn't think he could be that competitive. Then he goes to Richmond and he freaking had one of the best cars there. So, but I was, I was down, I was selling my stock on Alex. I was getting rid of that. He was not going to move on. He was not going into the next round of the playoffs and came out of nowhere. It's the great. It's 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 what's great about sports. It's that sort of redemption, uh, that shock and surprise. And uh, he was one of the guys that delivered that. Uh, so I know that I have a history with that team. You can say what you want about how I cover that particular race car driver or that team, but he was part of the story, and he's still part of the story. Impressive job by Alex. Um, impressive job by Chase. Who what who what you said you had a question, Mike. When we um, first brought up Alex, you go you laughed and you well, said, Oh, I got a question well, for well, you. Well the thing about well the thing about Alex was that I mean you kind of hit all over it all over it. I mean, and as good as his drive was, I you know, the thing that I left with was that interview with Greg Ives right before that restart. Yeah. And I I think it was Marty, maybe or Kelly, I can't remember who interviewed him. And Greg in the most Greg way possible was like, Yeah, well we're we know we need some help here. We're just gonna focus on what we can do ourselves and I admittedly and wrongly thought Greg you're setting yourself up for major disappointment even if Boyer gives him that position which you know thought that might that might be the smartest thing for Boyer being that he needs to point him way in too and he was just sitting really well he ain't gonna pass all of them and and by the way God help the person that has to have your playoff life hanging in the balance on having to pass Ryan Newman to do it, and yeah. so that's what that was, you know, the situation behind them. I just thought it, we're, we're, we're going to have a losing situation here. Bowman's going to finish fifth. That was compelling. My God, man, he got aggressive, not right on the restart, but boy, coming into those chicanes and stuff like that, he started moving people out of the way. Past Kozlowski, passed, and and I was like, man, this is the drive of his life. Coming in the same race, which he was acting like a bonehead at the beginning, right? And I couldn't believe it. And then yep. knowing how exhausted he was and how dehydrated he was. I was even more impressed. Um, I want to ask you, I do have other questions. One of the things that blew my mind was Amarola's pit strategy and and that the crew chief left him out there on old tires and not pitting him for tires when everybody else did. That blew my mind. And I'm like, well, then that that just cost him. Is it, did I see that right, or did uh, was there other factors that you knew of? Hindsight. I mean, it's easy in the in hindsight. It's, right? I, yeah, it's easy after the fact to say, oh, they should have done X, Y, and Z. But that's what we do as broadcasters. And um, yeah, I think that's what fans do as well. Uh, he was sort of hemorrhaging out there. Uh, he didn't have speed. He didn't have you know. He had top five speed in most of the race, drove up into the top five and drove, you know, was very competitive and running a very smart race. And now he's out there running in the back half of the field on old tires with no advantage, can't be on the offense and can't move forward. And so I think in that moment, you just got to keep putting tires on the car and keep trying to give your driver the best opportunity to make something happen. And that's what they did with Alex. They gave him tires and he had better tires. That's how he, that's how he got up there. That's how he drove the second. 
But they did put tires on the 10 car eventually, and he really couldn't do much But it was too late. It. Well, that's true. I mean, because he had to pass Newman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Newman's out there driving a tank. His car looked like one of those Once 1990 by, Thunderbirds. Yeah. Once, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, look, I thought the race in itself, it felt like after it was all said and done and you could go, wow, yeah. unwind. It felt like one of those races that if it were a movie, people would accuse it of being unrealistic. Oh, yeah. You know, I've like the, there. the leader, Chase Elliott, the most popular guy, is gonna, he's going to win. But he, let's just have him crash out of the lead, run into tires with 45 to go, yep. and then have him come back and win it. That, that's, and people are like, oh, yeah, right, like that would happen. Yep. He just, uh, you know, it was just such a good race. All right, I want to give a quick shout-out to a friend on Twitter, Jose Gonzalez. He has the, he's the guy that actually sent these two models, the number two Wrangler car that we're uh, – the Monte Carlo that we're uh, renovating and uh, also a number three Wrangler Monte Carlo from uh, from 1986-87. Uh, thank you for those uh, models. These are some of the best models I've ever seen. I yeah. mean, the, 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 the detail and perfection is impressive. And I saw them on his Twitter feed, and Jose Gonzalez said, I'll send them to you, and he did. And I, I can't even imagine how many hours he's got into these things, but he does some beautiful work. If you go to his Twitter handle, uh, to see these die, uh, see these die, they're not diecast. They're models. They're plastic models. He has built a bunch, uh, and he shows showcases his work. So go check that out. Before I bring in our guest, I want to take a second to tell you about uh, other podcasts that we have. One in particular, Door Bumper Clear. Boy, is it a good one! Uh, it's got a couple spotters on there that like to run their mouths. <laughs> got a lot of momentum too and there's a reason tj and brett the spotters that i spoke of are wide open and very honest about the sport uh they also dropped some hints and news and rumors which is probably the most uh interesting thing for me about the show people are listening at all levels of the sport from fans to many people in the upper ranks of nascar to see what tj and brett are going to say next yeah the spotter stand just gets all the rumors before anybody else. <laughs> really this week, they have a very interesting guest on the show, journalist Jeff Gluck. And and what's interesting about the combinations when you put TJ and Brett with another journalist, the journalists also have these rumors. They mm-hmm. also have rumors, and they sort of mesh their rumors together to find the truth. Yeah. Listen yeah. to the show. You should. Good stuff. I listen to the show. You should, too. All right. Hey, let's bring in our guest, Marcus Smith. Hey, Marcus. Hey, guys. What's up? All right, so in the studio, Marcus Smith. How's it going, man? You had a busy weekend. Yeah, it's going great. Yeah? Had a great weekend. Enjoyed it. Yeah. I'm usually not up this early after a race, though. (laughs) (laughs) Will you sleep in after a race? Yeah, I usually sleep in after a race. What what is sleeping in for you? I mean, normally I get up real early and work out in the morning, but after a race, I usually sleep in until, you know, 9 or 10. So bad. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. So, man... What's your position like? What would if I was to say, "Here's my friend Marcus Smith. He is well, finishes finish the sentence." I mean, my title is uh, is president of Speedway Motorsports, and you know, I when I describe people what I do, I feel like um, I'm kind of like a host of a party, and we always we're planning for parties, we clean up for parties, you know, we're we're having a, a party, and um, you know, I'm always just thinking about is everybody having a good time you know and uh just want to make sure everybody's having a good time with all the races and yeah. all the events we put on and uh you know i'm a, I'm a dad and a husband and i uh, like to you know spend time with family and friends your regular stuff 
So the party is the race. Yep. Right. Um, what's uh, what is the been the transition? I guess as your dad's got older for you. You, you know, when I've known you all our lives since we were teenagers. Um, Kelly had a pretty close friendship with you and still does today. Um, and your dad, you know, created this business. What's been that transition like for you into the role you have today? It's been, um, you know, it's, it's amazing to think about all the time when I was, when Mike asked me about coming on the show, I, I thought, man, what's he going to ask me about? And I, <laughs> you know, listened to a few of y'all's uh, shows yeah. and, um, and it's great because I love to think about, you know, the, the history of the sport and I think about, you know, for me growing up and, um, in it and, I, I really didn't have any intention of being in the racing business until um, I first worked at uh, the Speedway on an, what I call an inside job. I'd always had a, an outside job and uh, you know, mowed grass and painted walls and pulled weeds and a lot of uh, jobs like that that are important to the, the Speedway, but I really didn't get a chance for the, to see the business of it uh, until uh, freshman year in college in the summertime. And, uh, and that's when I really fell in love with the business of the sport. Uh, but before that, I was just, um, you know, a kid wandering around the garage and uh, behind the, the scenes and got to uh, go to races with my dad and brothers, and that was kind of it. And so you say you started getting into the business side of it as a freshman in college. What were some of the first roles that you had within, within that business? So one of my first jobs was to go around to all the teams uh, for the contingency program, all yeah. those little stickers on the side of the cars. Yeah. And uh, so Jane Allen, who was kind of my uh, my mentor uh, early on in the in the corporate sales department, she said, um, "Here, you go do these contingency stickers." And I said, what's that? And she said, well, you, you talk to the teams, somebody who's in charge, and they, and you tell them, you know, here's all the different uh, sponsors that if you put these on the side of your car, if you win or play second, you'll get like $200 or $500. And so I went down to the garage, and um, I was this young guy. I think I was 18, 17 years old maybe. <laughs> and um, I went and started at the beginning and just went down the line and uh, funny enough I got to um, the good wrench team and <laughs> <laughs> I asked this big bearded guy who was chocolate and I had no idea who chocolate was at the time except he was this huge guy you know yeah. and, um, and I said who do I talk to about this contingency program and he said you need to see the man and it was your dad and uh, <laughs> oh my heavens I almost peed my pants <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went and asked him about it and um he said, we do this one, that one, can't do that one, can't do that one, do this one. And yeah. He didn't mess with you at all? Not too bad. I mean, he was pretty quick, and um, no, it was pretty good. Was I think you could probably tell I was really nervous. So this was during a real, like a normal race weekend. Yeah, isn't that weird? He was, was he in a fire suit? Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Can you imagine? It, I'm nervous. What's the damn difference. I, well, but because, I think he'd be more intimidating out of his fire suit. No, no, because during the race weekend, you sort of like. Trust me, I'm speaking from experience. Uh, <laughs> uh, you're, you're right. You're, I'm sure you would know. Uh, well, back then, I don't think most of the drivers had motor coaches, so they hung out That's at, the, at yeah. the truck. That's a good point. And so 
that was that was where a lot of the drivers were at the time. So why would the track be messing with the contingency? I was thinking the same thing. I, I mean, <laughs> looking back on it, I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah. But was it just know? a busy job? Just like give the eighteen year old kid. Uh, I think. Something? Well, I think we sold uh, we sold program ads, and part of the program ad was, um, you know, we'll go and and do this. Yeah. And so it's just optional, but you know, a, a few extra hundred dollars yeah. for every car was pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so. All right, so you started sort of at the bottom uh, and worked the your way. The bottom was picking up cigarette butts out of the parking lot. Oh that my was God. my first job. <laughs> you really a, did that? Yeah, yeah. Me and my brother, David, we uh, that was our first job was picking up cigarette butts. I don't think it's ever been done since, but uh, wow. yeah, that's our first job. I mean, that's I, back, <laughs> back in the Winston days. I imagine there were a few of those butts uh, oh, yeah. laying around. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot. <laughs> Inside and outside. Yeah, I yeah. um I remember after that we we when we would watch the race from the condo and when it, when uh it, the race was over for the weekend Saturday or Sunday man you just had this bird's eye view of the grandstands and man there was trash everywhere oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was I remember on Saturdays looking at that going wow somebody's got a lot to do before tomorrow morning oh yeah so yeah. like how in the heck do y'all get that thing straightened back up for the next day. We, you know, it's amazing. We've got all these people, and at that time, it was a big deal to have the job of picking up all the cans because you could. What about the bang, Bojangle boxes? Because there were so many boxes <laughs> of Bojangles fun. everywhere, half eaten. Bojangles and chicken bones, and <laughs> you know, all that. That wasn't as fun to clean up. But people, the uh, nonprofit groups, would come in and pick up the cans and the bottles and take that for recycling, and that was like a, a good way to earn money. So. Um, that was a big deal if your nonprofit group could come to the Speedway and pick that up and take it for redemption. I've heard Dale Jr. tell stories like, you know, he just wanted to be around his dad's team. And, you know, you've seen little clips here and there. He just wanted to be around. Were you kind of the same way? Were you just wanting to be around the racetrack? Were you wanting to be around your dad's business? I, I mean, I just really liked it, but it was more about being around my dad. And I liked being around the cars a lot. I didn't watch the races as much when I was younger. I don't know why. I just um, I wanted to get pins on my hat. That was a big thing when I was a kid to have like a cowboy hat or a uh, or a, a racing hat with a lot of pins on it from every driver. And um, so I wanted to get that, and then uh, you know get little diecast cars was a big deal. Um, and then hang out with my dad. We. Um, I remember going to uh, Rockford Speedway when I was probably four years old, and um, with my dad. That's where uh, my mom and dad got got married and um, met, started a family there. Really, and that was uh, that was my first. What were y'all race. doing at Rockford? He was um, so he we lived in Rockford, and he had a dealership in Rockford, his first franchise dealership, and um, you know he loved racing, and we uh, we went there and. I presented his trophy, the trophy, a couple times, and I just remember uh, <laughs> being there in the in the dirt and having fun. Is that where he started his promoting and owner, owning racetracks at Rockford? No, he actually started that in Charlotte. It was um, at the Speedway. He was 17 years old when he promoted his first race at the Charlotte Fairgrounds, uh-huh. and at that time the track was near where the airport is today, and um, you know it was forgot what year it was but he was he was 17 years old he got together with some of his buddies and they said hey we should have a nascar race and um he was the guy that sort of stepped in as the one that said okay i'll be the promoter and his other friends drove 
And oh, they drove in the race. Yeah, they drove in the race. And he's 17, and he's the promoter. Yeah, isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah. What kind of track was that? It was a, um, uh, it was a dirt track at the fairgrounds, Just, yeah. Charlotte Fairgrounds. Well, that's neat. Yeah. And uh, but he promoted races in Shelby, um, at the fairgrounds, um, all all around the the area. He promoted against Bill France Sr. He promoted against um, Sam Nunes. Sam Nunes was kind of his inspiration to be a promoter um, early on when he went to races. His first race, he says, when he was eight years old, he used to go to the races with his dad and brothers and um, saw the big car that uh, Sam Nunes had. And he grew up on a farm in Oakboro, North Carolina, mm-hmm. with no money. And he said, that. That's a really cool car. I want to be like that guy. <laughs> and um, yeah, started promoting races when he was 17 years old. Golly. So, yeah. <laughs> what was the first track that he owned? Um, Charlotte was the first track he owned, but he helped build um, speedways okay. like Langley Speedway. He helped. What build. really? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that cool? Wow. Um, the guy that, uh, that financed it was a shoe store, uh, owner and he asked my dad to come help him build Langley and he did. And, um, you know, he said that was one of the the best speedways he ever designed. (laughs) (laughs) He really liked the shape of the track. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's, I mean, it's a great short track. Um, all right. So Charlotte Murray Speedway, he starts building that racetrack. How did, uh, didn't he go in with, uh, um, Curtis, Turner. Curtis Turner, who yep. was a driver at the time. This is before Curtis did the union thing that got him expelled, right? Yeah, yeah. So he went in and tried to form a union and got expelled from NASCAR, right. but that was later. So he's a driver, and he's going to help your dad build this track. And, y'all, and, and So they both, they both had the idea to build a track around Charlotte at the same time. And then they both had the wisdom to realize that they can't both do it at the same time. So they got together. Mm. And Did he enjoy working with Curtis? I, you know, he has a lot of great stories about Curtis. I think he really enjoyed it. And they were a good combination because Curtis had a big name and um, the ability to help raise money. And my dad had the, um, you know, the, the real tenacity to go in and get it done. And um, I think that combination worked out really well. They raised money uh, selling stock. And they um, they raised a million or so dollars to be able to get it done. And at the time, it was an impossible task. In fact, I was just talking to my dad the other day, and he said, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I don't think I'd ever do it again. Yeah. What? Really? Yeah. He said, you know, I mean, it was. he said it was so hard. If I knew how hard it was going to be to build Charlotte, I don't think I ever would have done it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what made a, uh, Other than the obvious things, it seems like a hard thing, but what yeah. what what does he say was hard about it? I think everything was hard. I mean, 1959, and, you know, there wasn't the same kind of access to capital at the time to where you could raise money and do things. There was no kind of, a, you know, computer-generated architectural plans that said this is how you build a speedway, oh. this mile-and-a-half track, and uh, just problems, lots of... Um, I mean, everywhere you turn, when you, I mean, you think about if you ever built a house, remodeled a house, how many problems there are. When yeah. you try to do it in a big, big scale, he ran into rock, he ran into uh, <laughs> weather, you know, snow in March, and all sorts of crazy things. Yeah. Mm. And this place, Sharpers, we always built on a farm. You were talking about that this weekend. Yeah. 
built on a farm. It was uh, eventually the the region's first landfill. Yeah. It had a natural spring on it down in turn three and four that I didn't know about. I knew that gully was there. If you look at old pictures of Charlotte Motor Speedway from way back when it was originally built, the infield in turn three and four was like 20 feet down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was crazy looking. People would like lay back on the hill and and watch the turn three and four yeah. kind of looking up at up it. Up at it. Yeah. It is really. That would be wild. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you ever been, the, you ever been, to where, there's a rock in Georgia where they have this uh, sort of thing carved on it. At the race. Oh, Stone Mountain. Stone Mountain. They do this light show. It's just, it would have been just like that. Laying on your back, looking up on Stone <laughs> looking Mountain. At the, yeah. L- looking watching at, the, wow. That's yeah. some serious elevation. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then turn one and two has had the, had the heel, which it still does today. Yep. And then y'all, they eventually filled that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a landfill. Uh, that was kind of necessity is the mother of invention kind of thing. Yeah. The, there was nowhere to park on the infield, um, so you, my dad had this great idea. Well, let's uh, let's do a landfill, yeah. and it worked out. I guess uh, different people agreed, and now that's kind of the oldest landfill in this region. So the track was there, and the le- the infield was filled in as a landfill yeah. Well, yeah. while the track was there and operating. That's, That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that. One of the interesting his, uh, rumors, I guess, for me when I was a kid, so Max Trading Cards comes out. Mm-hmm. The original set, uh, I think, was made back in like 88 or 89, right? Right. And everybody wanted to get their hands on them. And uh, obviously they're not quite as valuable today, but – that first set's still doing rocking pretty good on the value train. But anyways, playing cards had came out in 1988. That was a big deal. We didn't have baseball-style cards for our huge. for our sport. Huge. Big business. And something happened to Max where they went upside down, and some they went into the warehouse, and there were just shelves and shelves of this the 1988 set, all the stuff they had, you know, 89, 90, whatever, whatever year it was, just – all that stuff was put in the char- put in the track landfill. Oh my god! Dad, I believe it. <laughs> yeah, dad was dad was like joking one day about going out there and digging it up, but uh, to get those cards. But wow, yeah. So there's, yeah, there's no telling. <laughs> that's, that, a, that, that's a set. I, mean, I wonder if I, there's any race cars in there. <laughs> I don't know. There yeah. might be. We'll let you know if we find it. <laughs> <laughs> old old guys. The old. Uh, in the 50s and 60s and maybe even the 70s, some of the guys that raced old dirt tracks would bury their race cars because they didn't, when they would total their cars, they, there was nowhere to put it. So they huh. would dig a hole yeah. and bury it. That's what uh, it, Richard Childress said. He buried a lot of his yeah, cars out Richard there. Richard Childress buried race cars. <laughs> I've heard that. Why do they do that? I guess to get it out of the way. I don't even know. I mean, you know, there everybody's got a farm back then or a little yeah. bit of land, and everybody's got a hole or a ditch or a gully to fill. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd shove so, shove stuff in there, and race funny. cars were yeah. race cars would go in there too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So your dad helped uh, build that track. I remember, you know, it's a very very thorough, uh, complex story about how they got the racetrack together and ready, and the surface came apart, and everybody's blowing tires. I think the guy that won the first race there was on flats. Jolie Johnson. Right. He come yeah. across the line with he a big it. flat tire. Yeah, there's <laughs> rock holes and, and big screens on the front windshields to keep, the, keep up, the track huh? surface from coming through the car. And yeah. It was a tough little deal. Oh, yeah. But 
And uh, then the track went through some financial struggles. Yep. Um, uh, but weathered the storm. Richard Howard, right? right. What, what, when I say Richard Howard, what does that mean to you? So um, my dad ran out of money and ended up, he was you know, looking for more investors. And he had some advice from a, um, a guy in New York who said, hey, you need to file for bankruptcy protection. And my dad didn't know what that meant at the time. Uh, it wasn't something that you'd heard about. But um, so anyway, so we'll go back to North Carolina, get an attorney and file for bankruptcy protection, which allows you to reorganize the company and then, you know, keep going. Well, um, my dad's attorney, I guess, had never done it either. So he filed the wrong kind of bankruptcy, which basically put the uh, company in the hands of a trustee mm. who was Richard Howard. Really? And um, my dad hung around for like a year. He didn't like not being in charge. And uh, so he moved to Denver to uh, run a Ford dealership. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Really? Really. Completely really. removed. Uh, well, it's kind of interesting. He, he moved away because he thought he was going to just, just move on. Yep. And... But then some, and so Richard Howard's in charge, and he did a good job, you know, just continue to run the the speedway under that um, court ordered uh, bankruptcy deal that puts the the company mm-hmm. in uh, into the hands of a of a trustee. And my dad was out there in Denver selling cars, and somebody called him and said, "Hey, um, I've got these shares of the speedway company that you sold me. Um, I don't want them anymore. Do you do you want to buy them back?" And my dad said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll buy them back. I'll you know, pay you what I sold them to you for, which at the time was a pretty good deal because those investors thought that they were going to get nothing out of those shares. Sure. So he bought those back, and then word got around, hey, Bruton is buying these shares back. And so other people called him. And he has a great story about this. He said, um, he, said he, he told some friends, you know, I think Speedway is kind of coming back to me without me – realizing it. And um, eventually, you know, a few years down the road, uh, he had moved to Rockford, opened up a, a, a um, car store there. And um, I think it was in 78 or 79, he ended up with more than 50% of all the, the shares in Charlotte Motor Speedway. And he loaded up the family. We came back to Charlotte and he um, said, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to run it again. And um, sure enough, he, I guess, you know, learned a bunch about uh, business and racing and promoting. And um, it was just at the right time because NASCAR was starting to get a little bit better yeah. and gain some traction. And it all, you know, kind of worked out. What happened to Richard Howard? Um, I guess he, I don't know if my dad far, fired him or uh, <laughs> if he... Went on. I yeah. really have no idea. Um, how, how does how does Humpy come into play? So my dad hired Humpy he right away. Pretty soon, yeah. he was working at Firestone, um, managing their racing program. Humpy Wheeler. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, kind of would have been like Stu Grant is today for Goodyear. Right. And wow. uh, he hired Humpy Wheeler to come and run Charlotte, and they were a great combo for years and years. And um, that's. That's uh, how he and Humpy got together. Was there any crazy ideas that Humpy had that your your dad went, no, nah, not absolutely not? Cause I don't think so. <laughs> there was, Humpy was, there was like, you know, no 
limitations. Yeah. You know, when it came to uh, pre-race entertainment or right. so forth. One of my favorite things, and, and maybe you, you have one as well, one of my favorite things that I ever saw during the pre-race was Jimmy the Flying Greek. Yes. <laughs> Which you jump, you jump a bus. Yep. Into a pile of cars. Yep. And for a you know a six or twelve year old kid, there was nothing cooler other than the race itself. Absolutely. To seeing a bus dive into a pile of cars head first yeah. and just destroy yeah. everything. Absolutely. Um, there's some great YouTube video of him doing that at Bristol as well. I think in 1980, 79. Yep. And uh, they, he jumps this bus at Bristol, and as he's he's gonna jump a ramp and land onto another ramp, right? And the front of the bus, the front axle catches the uh, catches the ramp on the other side, and it shears the whole front axle off Man. of the bus. But the bus kind of slides down the ramp. Just it lost the, it cut yep. the whole front, it cut all the suspension out of the front of it. And the bus just kind of slides down the ramp and then up the racetrack, <laughs> and it's like gouging big chunks of asphalt Sparks out of this track. Are going everywhere. Oh yeah, it dug into that dang oval. <laughs> It dug into the banking of uh, Bristol Motor Speedway, and the cars are lined up to race. I'm like, wow, man, you almost destroyed the racetrack. So, oh, so what's interesting to me is when you go back to the people that come up with the ideas and the, the very creativity and all the things that, you know, the, the, the whole workings of those ideas, does Humpy and even your dad go, that worked? Well, or they think that didn't work. I know, mean, because in, in a way, they're, they're already sort of twisted, right? <laughs> well, so what's really funny about this is – when my dad tells a story about being eight years old watching his first race, the thing that he noticed, other than the car of the promoter, was the bus jump at ah. that time. There was a big jump, and he thought that was the coolest thing ever, and he just thought, that's the show. And uh, he liked the racing, but he really <laughs> loves to talk about the, bus jump. the crazy uh, pre-race act. Right. And so uh, Jimmy the Greek... Um, Man, like David the Rocket Smith. My brother's <laughs> name is David Smith, but this other guy is the guy that jumps out of the cannon, get launched right. out of the cannon. Um, so to we just, had, it, we it just had a guy get fired out of a cannon at Michigan this year. Yeah, it was him. Oh, that was uh, that same was, guy. Yeah, still, same still guy. Still doing it. Yeah, I think it's a junior. <laughs> okay. I think it's, uh, oh, <laughs> I think it's a legacy. Um, yeah. <laughs> One of the other things that um, was quite popular was the military sort of demonstration. Oh, oh yeah. For for be- lack of a better term, but oh yeah, we would you would. Uh, as a you as a fan, you would get there at the racetrack, and you could see in the front straightaway infield area they would have these like plywood yeah, shacks, tanks, yeah. and shacks, and yeah. these are things that were going to get destroyed. Whew. And there's tons of pyrotechnics around <laughs> underneath that stuff to make it explode and look like yes. it. And so they would helicopter in troops, and they're parallel. They're coming down the ropes off the off the helicopters, and mm-hmm. things are you know. There's music playing like par- howitzer cannons, yeah, and- perilous sort of music playing out of speakers, and uh, things blowing up. And yes. I mean, a big production. How close did you get to that? Not very close. Yeah, but you did. Well, apparently, <laughs> if you get too close, you can end up with a lot of splinters. Oh, I'm sure. And, oh, um, you took some shrapnel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can really? get shrapnel. Yeah. And, you know, with um, more you know, plaintiff's attorneys out there and people trying to sue you on, uh, like... Is that it, why that went away? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, <Yeah>. unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but those were really fun. I the, mean, we yeah. had all kinds of cool things. Did you ever see the one where they... All the troops got together and they like let this balloon up and the plane comes in and it, it's called 
something extraction. It's like there's an airplane with a big fork on the front uh-huh. and this balloon, and all these troops get together, like five or six of them, and link each other together, and the plane comes in and yanks them out. No. Yes, it is the coolest, most amazing thing I've ever seen in, in, in our pre-race shows, yeah. I think. And when's the last time y'all did that? Oh, gosh, it's been maybe... Uh, Ten years. Is it time to bring it back? Oh yeah, it is, man. Mm-hmm. I love that thing. It's yeah. so cool to see, but it makes you feel like something's bad. Something bad's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it's it That's really good. is scary. One of the other cl- uh, acts, or I don't, it's not really an act. This is as an insult, but mm-hmm. one of the other things that happened at the Speedway that I'm sure you guys had an involvement in was the old timers race. Yes, Kel Yarborough. Yeah, the um, original legends race. Yeah, right. Yes. So they basically. All the retired drivers, some very old retired drivers as well. Junior Johnson was out there. Tiger Tom. Tiger Tom Pistone. Yep. They all were helped. Uh, they got cup cars, old cup cars. Some teams made cars for them, and uh, some got their own cars and had them made. But they got these old cup cars and raced on the quarter mile on the front straightaway yep. and destroyed these cars. <laughs> I mean, just running over each other. Yes. And they looked like they having a blast. They were. Yeah. And yep. um, just a lot. I, I, that's on YouTube somewhere, the old-timers race. Just so much fun to watch those guys because you're sitting yep. there really watching your heroes yeah. run. You know, That was the and, original Legends race and the original reason to have that quarter mile paved at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Was for that, right? Just for that race. And then came the Legends car idea. And you guys had a role in the Legends cars. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Humpy and my dad and um, a couple of other people, the Allisons, so had that idea. The Allisons. The yeah. Allisons are not... This is Kenny Allison, Ronald, and Donald Allison, who are Donnie's three sons. They were tasked by Humpy and Bruton and... and that idea, that vision y'all yep. had for the Legends cars, they were tasked to build them in their shop. And they mm-hmm. also built and helped uh, create cars for Robert Yates and Davy Allison. So yep. I went to work there. I got a speeding ticket one day. <laughs> and Dad said, well, you got to get a job, it looks like, to pay for this speeding <laughs> ticket. And I said, all right. So I went over to Kenny's and introduced myself, and he hired me and... I helped him build Legends cars, and I could see. Also, I could go back in the back and look at Davy's Cup cars, hmm. and um, so that's how. Like I remember the very beginnings. I had the very, I had the third Legends car ever built. That's the car that I drove. Really? Yeah. How cool is that? When I raced down the on the, the metal quarter, body. Yep. Yeah. We raced on the front straightaway quarter mile, yep. and you had a dirt track off of turn three, which is now paved. There was races right. out there this weekend with Bandoleros and Legends cars oh, okay. as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. all that was there back in 92. Yeah. Jim France raced those. He did. Paul Newman raced those. He did. I mean. I might have raced against Paul Newman. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You, you did. Oh, shit, I forgot. How cool is How, that? <laughs> that's, I forgot that I was racing against Paul Newman. Yeah. Yep. Easy to forget. And oh, Jim. Paul. I remember racing Jim. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Those cars are so much fun. They were. We're still building them there in Harrisburg. So y'all still have a role in Legends cars, and there's they're all over the country. They are. We export more Legends cars and Bandoleros than we actually sell in the United States. Crazy. We race them all around the world. Uh huh. Yeah. Pretty cool. Didn't know that you didn't know that, did you? Did not know that. I did know you went to work for Donnie Allison because he's always quick to remind us that you Well, it's Kenny I work for, not Donnie. Donnie takes credit. <laughs> I know it. Donnie, wants, Donnie would love to have you know that he's the one that hired me. Yes, but actually, he... it was Kenny, 
And I have my first couple of checks from working there. That's great. Yeah, pretty cool. I set my clothes on fire one time with a torch. <laughs> I set the torch on fire. No kidding. We Man, would have wow. to go. We would have to go. To the, so the Legends car spindle came out of a four-cylinder streetcar, like a Toyota or something. Yep. And we'd go to the junkyard and get these struts, and then we'd take them home, and I'd have to cut the spindle. We'd take them back to the shop, and I'd, I'd have to torch the spindle off. And the molten globules dropping and dripping off of that thing <laughs> landed on the hose line and, and set the hose, oh burn a hole in the hose. <laughs> so the hose, I'm sitting there torching, and Kenny comes up taps me on the shoulder, and he says, look at the hose. And I looked at the hose, and there's a little blue flame shooting out of the hose because <laughs> that's got to burn a hole in it. And then I set my shirt on fire because I was working in the parts cleaner early in the morning and i got oh, parts man. cleaner all over my shirt and it went up oh, and man. so i'm sitting there torching and my shirt set my shirt on fire my whole, whole See, shirt <laughs> literally burned the shirt right off my it, back wow. he could have been a pre-race uh stunt guy. oh man you know he could have been <laughs> yeah. like uh, kenny kenny allison would i was the first driver to ever clip a front uh clip a legends car like bend the bend the front clip and need it repaired oh really yeah so <laughs> is, front, is that you're proud of <laughs> somebody somebody broke a rear end in front of me on the dirt track behind charlotte Murray speedway yeah. and i went straight into the guardrail oh that's when a hard i hit the too. grease yeah and it bent the front clip and so i came to work the next day and i said kenny i gotta get my my legends car clipped he's like we've never clipped one i'm like well here we go we're it's gonna find first. out how to do it so i was the first one to ever clip a legends car that's awesome first Can of many <laughs> Did you guys know each other at the time? I knew. Well, I'd seen him before. So when we had that condo in turn one and two at Sharpmer Speedway, in passing, we'd run into him in the elevator or whatever. Yeah. And him and Kelly were very uh, were friendly. So they would communicate and talk and have a conversation. But I was young and I, even just being two years yeah. younger. Not the most social person. I wasn't ever. social. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I was just quiet and shy. And we would we, we would run past each other a lot. We would, you know, and. Atlanta. As we got older, we, we, yeah. You know. Yeah. So gotcha. it was, uh, when I was 12, 13, 14, uh, him and Kelly had a friendship and I was just kind of an out, I was a loner. I got we're, you. we're two years different yeah. and you were busy. Uh, I mean, you were following being your dad a, around kid, and yeah. I was following my dad around and I was, um, you know, just, I don't know. We were both wide eyed trying to figure out what we were doing in life. Yep. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. I mean, you, you said you weren't planning on getting into the, the business like this. Did, did you, at that time, have any idea what you were interested in other than just being around your dad? I thought I wanted to be a doctor. Okay. I was thinking about being a, uh, a pediatrician because, um, because, honestly, my mom always said, you should be a doctor. And, um, Doesn't every mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. She, uh, but, you know, I think she was planting those seeds and... I uh, I thought, well, you know, I, I like our pediatrician. He seems like he has a pretty cool job. And I did some uh, camp counseling when I was in um, high school. And I thought, that'd, that'd be pretty neat to be a doctor. And um, sure enough, I wasn't very good at chemistry or calculus. Yeah. And um, yeah, That'll get you. Yeah. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> but then I kind of fell in love with racing. I mean, that, yeah. was, uh, that was really what got me involved. Yeah. yeah. So back to Charlotte Murray Speedway, you know, that – that track has been uh, uh, part of the backbone of our sport, but we come, you know, in recent times, the entire sports had some, uh, some to face some realities, mm. and that presented an opportunity, and you guys yep. decided to create the Roval. Yeah. And what was the reaction when you first brought the Roval idea 
to either industry folks like NASCAR or the drivers or owners? Oh, man. So, um, so I was in my office, and my office overlooks the front stretch. I can, you know, I've got a great view of the speedway and the, the dragway and the dirt track. And, um, and I'm sitting there just thinking about what we're doing, you know, and thinking about how to make the race better. And um, at the time, there was a lot of discussion um, in the industry and, and among fans, you know, like on, on the radio channel about, um, hey, we should have a road course in the playoffs. Yeah. And we've got too many mile and a halfs in the playoffs. And I thought about our, um, our fall race in Charlotte that, um, you know, it's, it's a mile and a half. It's, um, we have, we've got the NASCAR all-star race. It's really special. You've got the Coke 600. It's really special. I need to do something to make the, the fall race even better. And, um, and we had just finished up, uh, some improvements on our infield road course. And, um, and I just started thinking about when somebody said, uh, we should, we need a, a road course in the playoffs. I thought we used to race Charlotte in the the Camel GT series. That was a sports car, kind of like IMSA series mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and I loved that. It was always cool to see um, Corvettes and Porsches and Jaguars and all those cool old cars uh, race on the track. And um, and I thought, yeah, I think we could make the Charlotte Roval um, part of the NASCAR season. And uh, so I called a guy, uh, Steve Swift, who heads up all of our uh, construction and development at Speedway Motorsports, and said, man, I got a crazy idea. Could we make the Roval race ready for a a cup race? And we talked a little bit. He said, well, let me call you back. I got a couple things to look up. And So he didn't think it was crazy right off the bat? No, no. And he's used to... um, Crazy ideas. Wild ideas. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And and he and his team, they're the best. I mean, I can ask them to do anything, and they can do it. And um, so he called me back. um, I mean, I guess he emailed me back within a few hours and said, yeah, we can do it. And um, so I called Steve O'Donnell at NASCAR. And, um, And I said, Steve, I got an idea. It's a great idea. <laughs> and, uh, the best idea you'll ever hear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I said, it's kind of crazy, so uh, prepare. And, uh, and I said, um, you know, I think we've got a solution that um, is going to be really great for the sport. We can have a road course in the playoffs, and we'll take out one of the mile and a half in the playoffs. And the answer is running the, the Roval course at Charlotte. It's, um, you know, it's been done before. We've got a lot of updating and modernization that we've already done. We'll do more, but um, that's the idea. And he didn't uh, hate it right off. He said, man, I think that's pretty cool. That's, um, you know, we need more information, but that's pretty interesting. I'd like to learn more about it. So then I talked to uh, Kevin Harvick about it. He and I uh, had breakfast one morning. I said, I got a crazy idea. What do you think about this? And he said, man, I think that's really cool. You should do it. Everything was going okay uh, oh, then I talked to uh, Sam Flood at NBC, and Sam said, I love it. He really liked it a lot. Um, Jeff Banky liked it a lot. And I felt really good because Sam is just, uh, you know, he's he's fantastic um, influence in all the sports, not mm. just NASCAR. And to have his support meant a lot. So, um, 
So then I, I kept working on it, all the details. Um, as soon as it got to the race teams, it was a hard no. <laughs> there was a big brick wall. Um, Did you suspect that to be the case when you got no, to the race teams? No, no. I mean, honestly, I thought it was such a great idea. Everybody ought to agree with this great idea. And uh, so when I started to run into the resistance, um, you know, there's a lot of challenges with the teams at that time. And, and I just, um, you know, so NASCAR had me come and talk to the team owners in Daytona. I think this was like four years ago. And uh, Rick Hendricks there, Roger Penske, and um, you know, Chip, and Coach Gibbs, and all the guys. Well, Mr. H uh, said, Marcus, I really don't think you need to do this this year. And he's like a – I know he's probably like a second dad to you. He's He's got that – special place you know in in my life and and um when he said no i like shrunk you know six inches and just uh, <laughs> thought man i guess we're not doing it this year so uh but he said I, I think you just need to give us a little more time and um so immediately you know i knew we were going to get it done for that season and started working on the following season we Made it even better. We had Jeff Gordon come out, had Max Pappas come out, had Mario Andretti come out, test it. I mean, we just went to work on making it the best road course, you know, among the world. And that's uh, and then before for too long, we announced it on the schedule. What what was their concern? You take probably the most familiar race course to every NASCAR driver, Charlotte. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone that any driver has been on more than Charlotte. And in the playoffs, and you throw it out, and you bring in what now is a never raced on before race course, and say go, it, it's in the playoffs. That was really intimidating, and um, and I get that. But um, you know, when it's when it's something where you're counting on it being a known entity, and then you just go to the total unknown. Uh, I think that was concerning. Yeah, I think the fact that the cars had never raced around a Roval before, you got to you got to make sure you got a great tire. Yeah. So uh, safety was a big, you know, just not having it tested you, enough, right? Well, you got to have a tire that can go through the road course, turn left and right, then go around an oval. Yeah. yeah. They worried about what you know how the tire would perform the left front and so forth. Yeah. If you're running positive, if you're running camber, you know, to go left and right, and then you're going to take that car with that setup and that geometry around the banked oval, it could be disastrous. So it just needed a little more time. I um, <clears throat> Do you remember when I called you about it? Yeah. <laughs> you oh, remember I, what you said? No. <laughs> Dale, oh. <clears throat> Dale said, I'd like to see it. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, so, well, so I was racing. racing. Yeah. <laughs> and he said it was the last year of my contract, or yeah, like, yeah the last year of my, my career, and he, he, said, he said, I'm thinking about doing this road, and I said, I'd love to watch it. <laughs> Next year, right? Yeah. So you weren't even in favor of no. that. Of course, you were just you were just trying to get to the finish line at that point, right? I just I mean, this would. Was, I know that was my genuine emotion. Yeah. I would love to see it. Yeah. But you did not want to race it. <laughs> I was that interested. <laughs> hey, you know what? He's been consistent with this too, because I, I mean, know. even this past weekend, he was talking about, man, I'd hate it as a driver, but boy, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's what works. I mean, usually, whatever the drivers hate is fun for fans, fun to watch. Yeah. We want to see. I mean, I I, I don't. I don't want to see anybody frustrated or mad, but man, 
use we like to see the drivers in compromised situations challenge challenge yes yeah and not just by the facility but by each other Mm -hmm. you know that stuff with Bubba and Alex this weekend although every you know you're going to have opinion about who is right or wrong or what the etiquette is there either way it's what we hope we see in the end result is guys happy guys frustrated we want every emotion right and um so as a broadcaster, I love it. As a as a driver, I hated it. I hated all the reels. Like if I got in a crash, like the um, for example, perfect example is the Kyle Busch Richmond thing. Yep. I knew, you know, not only am I dealing with it in the moment and dealing with the crap uh, for a couple of weeks, they're going to run it the next Richmond race, <laughs> right? It's going to oh. be in all the highlights leading yep. up promoting the race. The promoter. It's going to be in all of the. It's going to be the lead in for the oh, for the man. TV. And you can, you Bubba can Wallace, his his uh, crash into the chicane wall from yeah. last year has been rerun. Oh man, over and over and over. Oh, yeah, gosh. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I hated that. Anytime I was in part of those highlight reels, and I also began to hate it when other drivers were as well, because I knew I wouldn't like it. But yeah. man, as a broadcaster, <laughs> run it, run that crash from last year, Bubba Wallace. Love that's a hit, right? Right. I am a hundred. I'm like a, I'm flipped like a pancake. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Well, all right. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about, and uh, you were you were probably just kind of getting getting involved in the business back then, but the rivalry with NASCAR that that you guys had, yeah. Um, how was how did that? There was like a a tug of war, you yeah. know. Uh, tr- you guys trying to keep your momentum going and doing what's right for your business and NASCAR trying to do what they want to do. And right. how do you guys, uh, you know, how did you guys end up sort of smoothing that out and, and making the compromises and yeah, keeping, keeping the sport, you know, do what's better, what's best for, you know, everybody in mind. Yeah. I think, um, so my dad and Bill Jr. had a, a good relationship, but a, but a very competitive relationship. And I think in, in hindsight, that has worked really well for NASCAR, you know, and, and my dad always wanted to be the best and Bill Jr. always wanted to be the best. And they both had some great attributes that, um, that I think benefited the sport immensely. Without that competition, who knows if they would have been pushed as hard, um, so, you know, there was a time, I mean, when it was real nasty, there was a, there were times when it was totally fine. Um, but, uh, you know, over the time it's panned out to be yeah. uh, really good. In 2001, Bruton committed to holding events at SMI tracks for an upcoming racing series that would possibly rival NASCAR <laughs> called track. Yes. Track would have franchises that represented uh, the, the series spec engines, composite bodies that yep. never materialized. You remember that? Yeah, Kelly Arbo was involved with that. <laughs> really? I remember? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. How realistic was that? I mean, uh, it, was that a kind of a bluff? I mean, was there ever? Did your dad? I mean, it seems like the tenacity you speak of. He's capable of playing cards that you know you don't know if he was actually going to do that, but he certainly got his way when he did it. Right? Oh man. Best thing to do. I mean, if you ever want to see somebody just. You know, run through brick walls or do anything. Tell my dad no. I mean, he has this amazing <laughs> ability to just uh, press on. You know, through uh, adversity, it's really admirable. Um, but I don't think. I mean, for me, I was I was a younger guy, just learning and and sit, soaking up everything I could at that time. 
And I uh, sat in that meeting. There was, a, there was one particular meeting I was in uh, in Humpy's office with all those guys from track, and we were talking about it. And I, I never really got it, you know, personally. And of course, I didn't, I didn't have the business experience that uh, that those guys did at the time. So I was just kind of listening, and the idea was, like you said, to uh, kind of follow the the city franchise concept for racing. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I thought it was it was interesting, but it didn't really capture my attention as a fan as much because I was watching guys, you know, that I knew on the track. Yeah. That was interesting. And um, so this new thing, it was a big idea. It didn't go very far, um, obviously, and um, I was only in one meeting yeah. that it was discussed. But there was a meeting. so There, there was there, definitely a so, meeting. So they definitely were uh, They had ideas. About it. They had, yeah. you know, had pretty plan. pictures and <laughs> words. <Pretty> pictures. <laughs> yeah. I, I asked Sam Flood. You mentioned him. I asked Sam Flood about this interview, if he had any information that might help me. And oh, my God. He asked me uh, <laughs> to ask you to tell the story about threatening to tow uh, the NBC TV trucks in 2000. Oh I can't imagine goodness. you threatening <laughs> to do anything, Marcus. I, I was merely you, a messenger. Oh, <laughs> what was that all about? It was uh, so. It's the first time <laughs> I think I'd ever met Sam Flood, and he was in the TV compound, and we had Lowe's as a sponsor of the Speedway, and Speedway's called Lowe's Motor Speedway. And we got word that NBC was not going to call it Lowe's Motor Speedway. They were going to call it the Charlotte Speedway or the Speedway at Charlotte. And um, and Humpy said, I mean, he, he kind of blew a gasket, and um, he said, go down there and tell them that we're going to pull the plug if they don't do this. And uh, Lowe's was my my sponsor, my customer, and I want to take care of them. Humpy is my boss. I want to take care of him. And um, so I had Lowe's kind of concerned about them not getting the proper recognition, and I had Humpy really upset. So I walked down to the TV compound, and there was a tow truck hooking up to the satellite truck that connected the race to the world, and um, big tow truck, and like 20 security guys and I was sweating <laughs> and it was just um you know one of those things it was a standoff what'd Sam say he was not happy about it sure he, he just uh you know he said go ahead and pull it there's uh you know tv money will go down the drain and go <laughs> he seat he and humpy had a standoff. a standoff and it was um man it was something else so <laughs> We finally got things worked out. A lot of uh, you know business discussions that took place. And with you, the mediator, I was, I was just an unfortunate uh, go-between. <laughs> you know, I was just uh, like I said, the messenger. But when you were the messenger or the unfortunate go-between, you're still having to play a role in this. Are yeah. you? Are, are you having to put on a face of uh, uh, of? I was trying low, to de-escalate the, the, the situation. Okay. So you were that trying was to my goal. Okay, I got yeah. you. You weren't trying yeah. to play the, play hardball. I was not. No, I needed to de-escalate on one side and the other. Try to bring cooler heads, you know, to the discussion. And it was a uh, man. That was tense. That was a tense moment. And um, we finally got it done. Um, 
but it it made for some great stories. <laughs> and we have pictures, you know, of uh, the tow truck hooked up to the satellite truck. And when NBC came back in the NASCAR and we hosted the whole NBC crew at the Speedway, uh, you know, Sam was there and I brought a big picture of the satellite truck uh, hooked up with the tow truck. And we shook hands and laughed and, you know, told stories about it. Your, Man, so. your wife... We'll call her Gassy Girl. She, Gassy Girl, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she is quite the personality on social media. She has a lot of fun. She does. Yeah, she does. And sings a lot of songs. Yeah. Enjoys uh, getting up early in the morning and starting her day oh, yeah. with music. Uh, but she, but apparently, uh, one, and we see that a lot. She shares with the world a lot. But <laughs> one, I guess she doesn't share your singing. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you also like karaoke? Oh, I do love karaoke. Your yeah, favorite I'm karaoke song? I would say uh, "Don't Cry that. for Me, Argentina." Yes, that's it. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes, it's a you great have you heard breaker. This? Have you heard him do it's it? It's right in my notes. <laughs> have, no, have I you, haven't heard him do you it. You haven't seen this? No. Oh man, I was wanting. I was, he got it right. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I also like "Cool in the Gang." Yeah, yeah that's always. I fun. don't even know that song. "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina." It's it's like an. Opera. opera, yeah. It's oh my opera. god, really? Yeah. Yes, but like so Madonna are, did it. When are you singing this? Do y'all have like karaoke on podcast? I've heard. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh no. Oh. <laughs> y'all have karaoke night at the house? Yeah, or we is do. this every single day at your house? Probably. No. Well, Cassie sings <laughs> yes. about every day, but <laughs> we have you know if we have people over, we'll uh, break out the karaoke. We've got you know just uh, the regular kind of TV room, yeah. and uh, we. Have a couple of uh, microphones yeah. and speaker, and we'll. We have karaoke in your house. I, yeah, it's yeah. fun. Nothing, it's fun. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah, we yeah. like it. I, I'm terrible at it, and the way I kind of like to do it. Cassie is a pro, and I don't know about you, but when somebody when you do karaoke and you get somebody who's a pro, it's like, man, how do you follow it makes it that? Harder to do. Yeah, yeah. So downhill. I'll get up there and belt out, "Don't cry for me, Argentina." <laughs> I still can't get over that. And <laughs> everybody can follow me with no problem. <laughs> You're it's the really opening fun. act. Yeah, I'm a good. But how do you? Act. I wouldn't want to follow an opera either. <laughs> oh man, I'm Even not good. Trust it. me, it's uh, it's just for fun. And yeah. uh, I like Garth Brooks and um, yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. That's funny. Yeah. So most recently on social media, I challenged a friend of mine, Steve Myers, to scan. Steve Myers works for iRacing, which builds one of the best simulators for motorsports and NASCAR included. He has a lot of license with racetracks, yours included. Yep. And they have to sign a, an agreement with you mm-hmm. to be able to go and scan the racetrack that they want to build for the game or for the simulation. The real the players the people that play iRacing or, or own iRacing do not like you to call it a game, but I will for this for the sake of <laughs> for the sake of people I've understanding. Like yeah, it. for the sake of people understanding <laughs> what we're talking about. So, anyways, um, you have a license with uh, with Steve Myers and iRacing on several of your tracks. One that they do not have in the service is North Wilsboro Speedway. That's and right. me and you, I actually called you up. All right, I had the plane crash and I've been bumming rides trying to get to these racetracks so I can keep broadcasting. You were nice enough to give me a ride to one of the racetracks here recently. Vegas. Yeah. And it was a nice long trip. And there's a couple things that I learned on this trip. One (laughs) was uh, I've been looking to buy a suit. I haven't bought a suit in a while. And so I needed a suit. And you were telling me about a particular brand. So I ordered a suit while I was on the plane. All right. Did you get it yet? Yeah. Yeah. A suit that you can have mailed to the house, 
And uh, I was like, hmm, this doesn't sound like a very good deal. You know, usually <laughs> I think you need to get measured for yeah, these kind yeah. of things. But he's like, nope, it's going to be fine. It's a good suit. And it really? came and it fits. And I just got to get it uh, hemmed on the bottom. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but yeah, it fits pretty good. Yeah, good. Um, I wore mine yesterday. Did you? Yep. Yeah. So I needed a summer suit, something that wasn't thick. Right. Uh, so that was great. And also, <laughs> we were sitting there and I said, I don't even know how we got on that conversation. But I remember um, saying in my head, Man, Steve Myers needs to scan North Wilkesboro before it gets beyond uh, beyond the capabilities yeah. of doing it. Whether it's the you know the the surface of the track goes away or um, whatever might happen to this place uh, before it goes too far, at least go scan it and get the data. Whether they build the track and release it to the service, uh, and so I. I started to talk to Marcus about it on the plane. I said, Marcus, yep. I said, um, and so I'm asking Marcus basically to give Steve a license. Yep. Right, to scan it. You said, hey, let's let's go scan it. And you mentioned something about there being a lot of weeds and grass overgrowth. Yeah. And uh, Mike Birch, who is on the plane with us, he works a lot with Steve and um, I guess knows a lot about yeah. how they do the scanning and everything. and. Before I know it, you're offering your landscape services. Yeah. And <laughs> Anything I can yeah. to to get him to allow Steve to come scan the track and do, yeah. do the track, yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. All right, yeah. but but you can be honest here. I mean, like, you know, because you're part of the Crazy Idea Club. I mean, you've had crazy <laughs> ideas, right? I like so that. When, he's yeah. hit, when he's hitting you up with this stuff, I mean, there's got to be people that say and suggest things to you during the course of your day where you're like, Oh yeah, in I, your head, going idiot. I do it all the time. Right. So, so, I'm all, so, I, I, so, is this really something you were receptive and thought was a great idea, or were you just like colossal waste of my time? No. So, actually, the way it came up is we were talking about uh, the Ferris wheel. Yeah. And um, and so Dale and I were at dinner one night, and um, and he said, "Man, I I got an idea." <laughs> he said, uh, "You know, it's really cool uh, when you see a Ferris wheel." on TV at the racetrack, and we've had them a few times in the past, but we don't do it all the time. And, uh, and I said, yeah, it is pretty cool. And he said, yeah, it looks like something fun's happening. And um, I said, yeah, you're right. And so um, I made a little note in my mind, and so now every race we have a Ferris wheel that you can see from television so it's Dale's Ferris wheel. That, that, that was your Isn't idea. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, if I'd have known he was going to actually do something, <laughs> yeah. I would have probably <laughs> chose something different than Ferris wheel. <laughs> right. Ask for something. But it's else. really yeah. fun. Right. It's really fun. Yeah. Fans love it. Yeah. yeah. And it looks fun. Yeah. So, um, so then you said, "Well, man, if I'd known that," and you started bringing up uh, iRacing racing with North Wilkesboro, and um, we were just up there. I was up there with um, with a couple of folks maybe six months ago, and. Um, checking it out and it's uh i mean it just it, it just screams history you know of nascar yeah. and i think so many people um you know like to talk about it on social media um i think using iRacing racing as a way to bring it back virtually is a great idea and it'll be fun yeah so that uh, you know that that was i i wasted two pretty decent ideas <laughs> 
and and I could have went bigger. I guess. <laughs> well, you got any others you're holding yeah, back on? Yeah, right? yeah, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. so you asked, hey, just wait to the next West Coast race, well, you, get a bunny ride. You, you you said, does he hear all kinds of crazy ideas? Pretty much every time that me and him are around each other, I'm telling him some <laughs> crazy thing that he needs to do. I've begged him to pave. Bristol yeah. with asphalt. Oh yeah, for we talked years. about that. <laughs> I've begged him to I do that. That's a good idea, but I mean, well, I'm, sure there, I'm sure there's economics involved in yeah. that. Dale's idea was to rip up the concrete at Bristol and run a dirt race. Yes. In Cup, and the then first, the first Bristol race of the year, run the dirt race. Yeah, and then pave it asphalt. Wait, when did he come to you with that idea? It had to be after on, driving. No, that was on the plane to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, before we got there. Yeah. yeah, before Boy, we got there. Now that he doesn't have to drive it, <laughs> yeah. he's got all kinds of ideas. Let's do a boat race in the infield <laughs> next time, right? That was well, Kyle I've Petty's been, idea. Fill, I've, <laughs> oh, oh, that's already been taken. <laughs> if Kyle wanted to fill it up and have a bass fishing tournament, Man. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't like. He doesn't like the track. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Man, you do hear some crazy ideas, and he's the reason. I he's am. I I want to see Bristol asphalt before I die. I want to see Bristol go back to asphalt because I think that once it goes back to asphalt, it'll solve all the. Him, all the concerns. It'll right the world. It'll right. It'll end yeah. global warming. Yes. <laughs> yes. The other, all right, so if we're making a list, I'd like Atlanta reconfigured to its original configuration. All right. That's a good cool. idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, come on. That, you're not hearing that for the first time. There's no way. Yeah. I, I may have, have heard, heard a lot it. of people say that. I you, may have heard it. You, you may have heard it. <laughs> yeah. I think you have. Yeah. 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 All right, what else? What um, else we got? Well, he doesn't own Dover. Nope. But I'd love to see it asphalt, too, one day. When you're racing Dover, that... That's got to be. I know you and other drivers always said it kind of like shakes your eyeballs. Concrete just isn't a great, great surface. Yeah, you know, as far as for for racing, but um, I don't know. I think that that those two tracks it would be crazy fast. When was at Dover, Bristol? So they would have to make some adjustments with the cars and so forth. When was it asphalt? I think in '96 is when it went to concrete. Oh okay. wow! I didn't know it was that because at the time, ah, correct? Yes. Well, at the time. <laughs> Uh, asphalt would not stay up on the banking. Yes. The asphalt was getting torn up because of the heat of the day practice. Right. In right. the heat of the day, the Xfinity and, and the cup cars practicing on it um, would rip would it rip the asphalt up. Yeah. But advances have advances have been made yep. in the in in the ability to you yeah. know create a surface that would last. And now you guys know so much more about surfaces since yeah. you paved Charlotte and beyond, you know, the, right. the tracks that have been repaved since Charlotte. A lot has been learned about what we need as a sport, so yeah, I think it can be done. So now, done well. when we pave, so we we start off with regular asphalt, and the heat would kind of pull the asphalt down because that's how you how you make asphalt. You get it hot, you pour it out and smooth it out, and so then you heat it back up again. But then the next step was polymer asphalt, and that helped to keep it in the in the turns. Yep. But it also made the track so smooth so perfect that you end up with like three or four years of perfect racetrack too yeah, good which is not great for great racing right, right and so then when we repaved kentucky a couple of years ago my my challenge to our guys steve swift and others was pave the track but make it old from the beginning and how'd you do that that was a pretty cool thing they um basically you know, when you when you pave, you have several layers, like a cake, and the top layer is like the icing on a cake. It's real smooth and doesn't have as much rock in it. Um, but instead of doing that top layer, you just kind of leave it off and make it 
the, the top layer still has a lot of rocks in yeah. it and a lot of crevices that uh, make it a coarser, more, um, I guess, uh, grindy kind of surface for yes, the tires. abrasive. So, yeah. so, so the tracks that we, and I say we, the tracks that most drivers love are the worn-out tracks like Atlanta and Fontana yep. and Rockingham was like this. I remember going to Rockingham and when they would have the pit, the Unical pit road uh, pit yep. crew competition. competition, yeah. So they had the Unical pit crew competition, and they would tell all the drivers to get in their cars and pull around the backstretch and stop. And when it was your turn, you would pull away, uh, down the back straightaway and around turns three and four and come make your pit stop. So all the drivers would pull over there with their cars, and we'd get out. And so I remember being on the back stretch and sitting there and rubbing my hand across the the surface of the track and it would cut your hand mm. it was so mm. abrasive that if you rub your hand across it it would cut your hand mm. and uh imagine what it's doing to a tire at four thousand pounds of load at 150 miles an hour yep and so props to goodyear uh with that mm. but um and so what was making that so abrasive was those shards of rock as mm-hmm. you wear away the tar and and the asphalt material what's left are the rocks and yeah. the, and those rocks have those broken edges and and they they become the abrasiveness of that surface and so uh pretty awesome all this stuff i've been kind of keeping an ear to the ground as to what you guys have been doing over the years with paving tracks and it kind of started with charlotte you used a mm-hmm. very you used a lot of rubber components in that yeah. asphalt and so now it's like a tire on a tire right the surface of the track is rubber in a, in a way in yep. a sense it was amazing when we first did that test. You could see it took about an afternoon where you took a chunk of regular asphalt and a chunk of the new new stuff, and the new stuff after four or five hours in the sun, um, you know, didn't move, and the other stuff, the the classic asphalt, was melted sliding down the track. Yeah. yeah. But hey, so Charlotte was too good. Right, the surface of the speedway yep. at the time. Now it's gotten rougher and, and got a lot of imperfections in it, and it's yep. changed now. But first, it was too good for too long because they paved it with such great technology. And now, like you say, you've went to Kentucky and other tracks and sort of developed this sort of uh, asphalt that's got some coarseness to it and will age rather rapidly without you having to repave every ten years. Right. You know, you right. want a track that's gonna gonna last. Your surface is gonna last. Um. I know another one of his crazy ideas he's been pushing. Yeah, what's that? Nashville. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Nashville. are we going to get Marcus here and not even? Well, yeah. You know, the Nashville (laughs) thing has been... Been a bit of a struggle, I think. You know, yeah, and I think you know the town and the and I can't speak. For, I'm not speaking for Marcus. This is just the knowledge that I have, which is probably less than what Marcus has. But uh, the 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 town and the community leaders there, uh, you know, are, are I think in in my personal opinion, they're they're much more excited about the soccer team and the the up, upgrades that that's oh. going to bring to that sort of facility. There, they're less they're less concerned about the future of the racetrack. And what it could do for the community, they're less confident in mm. its future and what it could do for the community. That just seems to be the impression I get. Marcus, if you care to speak on it, you can. Sure. Yeah. I, so um, there is a lot of excitement about the soccer team. And for everybody who doesn't know, this new soccer stadium is going right next door to the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. Yeah. And um, so that poses a challenge. But 
it's also an opportunity, and I'm kind of an optimist by nature, so I always like to see the, the opportunity in something. And we do have a lot of supporters in the community that want to see NASCAR back in Nashville and to see that speedway taken care of. And we've got some great ideas to help make that happen. Uh, we've talked to a lot of people there on the fair board and the city. And um, they have a brand-new mayor that we'll uh, be talking to uh, hopefully pretty soon and be able to follow up on some of these, these discussions. Oh, so it's not dead in the water? No. Yeah, no, okay. not, not dead. Um, we're going to keep pushing on it and feel like we've got a pretty cool opportunity there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if um, – man, that would be – uh, quite an accomplishment for you personally, I think, if uh, if racing was to ever return. It makes perfect sense because we are going there with our banquet and to celebrate our champion. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing city, and we mm-hmm. belong. I think that's a great match for us. Vegas, I agree. Was, Vegas was an amazing experience and a good run, much as New York City was as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got great memories going to the Waldorf Story with my dad and watching him win championships there mm-hmm. in New York, and made great memories in Vegas, but. Nashville is a great fit for us. Yeah. Um, we'll also have a lot of great entertainment right in our backyard or right in their backyard to be able to come celebrate with yeah. us. It's just going to make for a really good experience for I our agree. champion and our drivers in the industry. So we should be racing in that town. And I, I wouldn't want to race anywhere else than at that fairgrounds. Yeah. With the history it has, it's a short track, uh, and, and it's very traditional. and would be great awesome. shape, too. Perfect. I like that, it's that per- track. The banking, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it is. All right, man. Well, uh, what are you most excited about in the, uh, for NASCAR's future? There's, you know, you had a you had a big crowd at Bristol this mm, past race. Yeah, big gains yeah. there. Yep. There's been gains on the television side. You're seeing gains as as an owner in uh, in ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you most excited about? Oh man, I think well. When I talk to people now, I love that our TV ratings are up. I love that our, our attendance is up. The racing is really good. Um, I feel like we've got a lot of good things going for us, and we've got a lot of great new young guys that are they're, they're excited and, uh, and pumped up about racing. And, uh, you know, really that's the, the core of what we do is entertain people with our competition, and that's no different than every other sport out there um i think that is the the great thing the great privilege that we have putting on races is that we get a chance to deliver entertainment and memories for people i mean we work in the sport but the millions of people that come to watch what we do are doing this as a way to kind of escape the rest of their lives the rest of reality of just uh you know, waking up and going to, to work and the regular thing, where they make their memories and their friendships is at the NASCAR races. And I love that. That's kind of the um, the the really great, rewarding thing about what we do. And to me, I'm excited about the, the great drivers that we have competing today, um, the, the fantastic racing. I think um, the outlook of where we're going is really good. And um Man, I'm excited about things like like Nashville, and um, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll uh, 
have a dirt race at Bristol one day or Wow, uh, dirt race at Bristol. <laughs> Who came up with Wait that? Wait now, idea? we can't leave right there. Call it you don't really want to tear up the asphalt or tear up the concrete to do it though. I'm right? gonna I'm gonna call it the Dale Jr. uh <laughs> invitational. <Yes. laughs> that means you gotta invite him to race in it, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> wow, man. <laughs> see see his temperature on it goes south not, immediately. Well, I don't have I have zero no, dirt it, experience. Like I'd do be it the in the last legend. person to I think be, you race some him dirt. race a legend. You've got a little more than zero. I mean I ran some Legends cars that does not count. It is, yes, it, it does. It is if the Invitational is a Legends race. That's right. That's you need right. It. All right. <laughs> See, we could come up with all kinds of ideas here, just as long as there's a Ferris wheel somewhere. Nearby. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, there's, there's. <laughs> I think I racing can build you a dirt simulated Bristol. Yeah, and you could uh, practice right? on it. Yeah. They that, need, you, they, they right? don't they don't build fictional tracks. They need to scan the real thing, Marcus. Okay. <laughs> I bet you can hint, get them to do hint. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they would need to scan the real thing. And once you're done with that dirt race and everybody has had their fun, you can pave it. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, That'd man, I appreciate you coming out today. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Um, I am, you know, you're, you, you just have such a great personality. I love what you do. And and what you bring to the sport and everything that your family's meant to NASCAR, but also more importantly, I love the person you are and the friend that you are. Um, I know I can count on you and depend on you for anything, and always great for some good advice and uh, just a great dude, man. So and thank you, man. You too. You, know, you you've shown that on the show, and I appreciate you giving us some time today. I know it's been a busy busy weekend. Like you said, you deserve some decompression and some time off and a little rest and. Hopefully you'll get that this week. Yeah, we're gonna have some fun. I don't know. I might, uh, I might play around of golf this week. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. There you go. Yeah, you got to get ready for the drags. They're coming. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Are right the drags coming? What? what what's two the weeks. dates? Uh, yeah, two weeks. We got drag racing in Charlotte um, at the Z Max Dragway, and Christmas light shows will be in Texas uh, first week of November. But yeah, got some fun ahead. Yeah, you got Texas coming up. That's some right. big races. That's Still, right. Yeah, like that's the thing. Like when Charlotte's over, there's a you know you got another track firing up, getting ready for a race over here, and then another track over here firing up, and yeah, it's a y'all. I can't even imagine the responsibilities and and strings you guys are pulling on a daily basis. Well, we're uh, you know we're we're in the the fun business. We want people to have fun and entertain people, make sure they're um, enjoying themselves. Well, it's working. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, guys. Appreciate uh, you all having me. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, is that it? Yeah. Put your headphone on real quick. <laughs> Put your headphones on real quick. He, he's, he's doing his go-to karaoke song. He, oh, oh, is man. that it? <laughs> Be careful. I might sing it. <laughs> he's getting inspired. Yes. Yes. Come over for karaoke. I'll sing it for you. Oh, I love karaoke. <laughs> that was good. Hell yeah, it was. I, I don't know if it was just because I liked the content, and maybe, maybe not everyone will feel that way about it. But screw them. That yeah. was good. That was fun. We literally dropped. They might do dirt Bristol on yes. our show like that, is, and drop that. Uh, Nashville is still still reality. Live. Yeah, Those uh, that's going to make headlines. Big nuggets. Damn straight. Bristol dirt. Yeah. And he wanted to to ease that Bristol dirt out there. You could tell. That's cool. He was like, <laughs> he was like, this ain't a bad idea to to, 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 to tease it. Are you ready for this? Uh-huh. We are live. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. for the Dale Jr. Download. This is the Ask Jr. YouTube uh, segment of the show presented by Nationwide. Um, thanks to Nationwide. 
for bringing Ash Jr. to you. So we got uh, Leah. Hello. She's laughing because I'm silly. <laughs> uh, she's going to be fiddling through all those questions you guys are putting out there and, and trying to find some good ones. So send them on in. Leah. All right. First question's from Joshua Doyle. After watching Bubba Wallace lose his cool last night, it got me wondering, what is the maddest you've gotten during or after a race? Mm. Probably uh, it's several instances with Kyle Busch, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, uh, there, I mean, anytime you get turned around, spun out, I was driving late model street stocks. Uh, anytime you get wrecked, that's a, you, you, you can't get any more frustrated. Uh, and, and several of the things that me and Kyle did to each other on the racetrack, several things he did to me upset me. Several things he said in the media upset me. Um, so too many to list, but yeah. I I, uh, I always tried to think about, you know, my mom's watching, my mom's listening, and try to use – I know that's not reality. She probably wasn't watching every interview or watching every practice or race, but I tried to th- imagine, like, what should I say in this moment without upsetting mom, and typically that kept me out of trouble, or else I probably could have gotten myself uh, – I could have made myself look like a real <laughs> but. Yeah, I think um, Kyle said something one time in the media. It, we were at Dover. I remember. Ugh. Yeah. Um, so frustrating. He said something about me having to switch a lot of crew chiefs. He said it's never Junior's it's fault. It's never my fault, yeah. That one really pissed me off <laughs> so bad. So, yeah. It was. He, yeah. <laughs> it's still, still harboring but a little that bit. Pro- I mean, we're probably not thinking of a few. I, I can think of one. I mean, because uh, just because I saw somebody bring it, it up makes on me Twitter. Nervous. No, no, no. You know, the <laughs> Robbie Gordon or his crew member Robbie Gordon after the race. There's that picture of you flipping him off. Uh, oh god, yeah, yeah. He was a lap down and in the way, and uh, you know, he didn't think he's in the way. But I'm thinking, get out of the way. I want to pass the cars in front of you because there are positions. And then we ended up getting into a shoving match on pit road and destroyed our cars, and then. I was ready. I want that day. I wanted to be in, show my ass. I wasn't thinking about mama. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the next question? <laughs> Nicholas Lewis is watching on YouTube, and he wants to know what did you think of uh, Corey LaJoy's Ninja Turtles? That was one of my favorite things. Corey on social. Sent, yeah, Corey sent me a picture of that and said, "Hey, we're on a co- covert mission to 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 have some fun out here with the turtles." And Corey just has fun, right? So if you're if Think about this, like when you're at when we're at the racetrack on the weekend, don't be surprised by Corey coming up with some fun thing to do and be silly uh every single weekend. Um he he I was at Darlington gonna run that Xfinity race and he texts me or he comes riding up on his bike. I was at the track Friday and he comes riding up on his bike. Hey man, how's it going? Yeah. And we sat there and had a conversation. I was like, What's up, Corey? And then he said, Hey man, let's get some beers later. I'm gonna come over to the bus. I'm like Okay, so he comes over to the bus. We hung out for like 45 minutes to an hour. We've never hung out really before. We know each other. Um, but he's just a spontaneous guy that's going to have fun. Didn't surprise me any, and he's going to do some cool stuff that fans are going to enjoy. Um, I think it's great. Hmm. Great personality in the sport. Uh, Tony Rocco wants to know, if you're forced to add an element to the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval, what would it be and why? I don't know that I would add uh, anything. I, I couldn't imagine – I, that track is so challenging the way it is. There's not a corner on that track that somebody didn't have a problem with, or, 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 you know, it just really, I think, is the hardest circuit or the hardest track and toughest test for the drivers that they'll face all year long. So uh, I don't know that I'd change a thing. I really wouldn't. I could think of other tracks that I'd like to influence, and we talked about that with Marcus Smith in our interview today. 
that track that Roval, man. I don't I don't know. I don't want to get in there and mess it up. You know, it's pretty good. Jason M, when is Dale coming to the snowball derby? I want to. I talked to Tony Jr. about going over the last couple of years and just, just camping, you know, and hanging out and drinking beer and, and uh <laughs> watching the race. Yeah, I wanna be a fan. Um and I've tried to figure out a way to get my driver uh, Josh Berry in a car. It's expensive to run that race, but uh, I'd love to try to get Josh an opportunity just to say he at least ran it once uh, in his career, and uh, all the great drivers have ran that race. Um, my time has passed. I don't think I'll ever try to go do it, but it'd be cool to to go see it one time for sure. Uh, we're getting a lot of Roval questions. Uh, sure. Cliff Ramley. wants to know, what is the perfect way through the chicanes? Are the best drivers hitting the turtles on purpose, or are they just missing it by a few inches? You want to uh, you want to straighten that section out, you know, go through there as straight as you possibly can. So that definitely means using the turtles a lot, using a lot of the curb. The only problem is, is that you know you can break your car. Uh, those are very aggressive curbs compared to what we have at the other road courses, and they are they beat the cars up and break things and break the suspension, especially the rear suspension. And so it it's a sort of a trade off. I wouldn't be a very I wouldn't be a very aggressive with those turtles early in the race, but late when it you know when you need to get some make some time and you're trying to create the best lap time you can and catch the guy in front of you, you have to take that risk of of climbing up on those things and using them up. <laughs> Justin Cruz, this is kind of an off the wall question. Um, does pineapple belong on pizza? I, I you know you could put anything you want on pizza. I'm not going to be the pizza police here. Um, <laughs> I think that pineapple, if you like it, eat it. I don't care. I, who cares? I um, I like, I like buffalo chicken on pizza. Not not my favorite pizza. My favorite pizza is going to be pepperoni and banana peppers all day. Oh, interesting. E X R C I S T on YouTube. What's your next series to run on iRacing? I liked, uh, you know, I, I was enjoying the dirt. I've, my computer's been gone from the house because it's with the rig that I'm getting built, so I haven't been able to race. Uh, but once the rig shows up and I'm back on iRacing, uh, I'm going to continue sort of build going up through the ranks in my um, dirt uh, career, if you will. And um, I probably won't run much asphalt for a while, but eventually. So I had this original. I got this original count, uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and it's you know I sort of retired it. And I got a new uh, account, Dylan Hart Jr., and I'm going to start from the bottom. Oh, that's fun. In the asphalt and uh, and dirt. So going back, because I haven't ran on there in so long, the tire models changed so much that I'm going to start this new account with where with how the sim is currently in its state and relearn this entire simulation all over again because I'm trash. <laughs> I am trash on the <laughs> asphalt. I'm so bad. But yeah, that's it. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Ask Junior, presented by Nationwide. I appreciate everybody that tuned in today to hear uh, and ask questions. Thank you again to Nationwide, and be sure to uh, subscribe to Dirty Mode Media on YouTube. Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. All right, White Flag, you know we got a TV show, NBC Sports Network. We've got three airings on Tuesday, 5 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Eastern, and midnight. It's going to be a good one. Marcus Smith, this uh, interview right here. Uh, the the, the, uh, the B-roll and stuff is so good with that TV show. We just love seeing that. But this is a big week for us, guys. I mean, we've got the, uh, the, the drop of our big uh, original short documentary, 
called Time Machine. That is uh, Dale Jr.'s um, and Dirty Mo Media's big project where we really just kind of shows the emotions and and really behind the scenes transparency uh, uh, candor everything about the weekend at darlington and i think dale jr fans are going to love it i think that it's uh man it's emotional right i mean it's uh and and so anyways i'm I'm looking forward to getting that out and letting everybody kind of just uh, consume that this week you can only do it on our youtube channel right it's only on the dirty mo media youtube channel subscribe to it uh, watch it and watch it again. You'll want to. It's it's only twenty minutes long. It's a good twenty minutes that you'll uh, you'll find valuable, and that's coming this week. So everything else, you know, Apple rating and reviews, all those other things. Look, uh, we'll we'll kick back on that next week. But this week it's all about time machine because I know that's been a labor of love for uh, everybody in this room. Yes, uh, for sure. And uh, we'll see you there. And that's it for this white flag. Oh wait, I was supposed to be saying that it's International Podcast Day. Is that, yeah, it's is like that a, it? Shouldn't it be a holiday for podcasters? Oh, are you looking for some time off? <laughs> is that right? Is that where we're going with this? Show comes out tomorrow. <laughs> All right. You'll just have to work Sunday. <laughs> All right. That's it. Let's do some odd history. On September the 30th, 1956, NASCAR's convertible series raced at the Asheville Weaver Speedway. Oh, Weaverville. I always, draw, I always, I always leave that off. That up. I do too. Asheville Weaverville Speedway. We've mentioned this track a few times on the show. It was a half-mile dirt track in North Carolina. The race that day made some unusual history, or odd history. On lap three, Chicago's Bill Whitey, is that really true? Yeah, man. Gherkin? Yeah. Started the insanity by flipping his 155 Dodge, number 155. Then Arizona driver Mel Larson, I've heard that name before, lost his gas tank and was sidelined. Cannonball Brown, his axle broke. This was only the beginning of the rough day that a crowd of over 4,000 spectators witnessed. Let's fast forward to lap 182. A multi-car pileup caused the race to be stopped. Why? Because it was only one car still in the race. (laughs) All right, so they had a crash that took everyone out but one car. The big wreck started when Jimmy Massey and Possum Jones collided on the backstretch. Drivers said they were blinded by the sun and kept crashing into the pile of wrecked vehicles. Possum was standing on top of his car. When it was hit again, he was thrown off high into the air. He landed unhurt. Joe Weatherly ran from his car and escaped the carnage by climbing the outside banking. With cars crashing into the infield wire fence to avoid the wreckage, the scene was an absolute mess. Race leader Curtis Turner narrowly got through the crash before the track was blocked. Possum was treated for chest contusions. Massey, he was hospitalized for a minor back injury. Glenn Wood... Suffered cuts and bruises and a broken nose. Art Binkley broke his jaw. Ouch. The dust settled and the race was called early. And the lumberman from Roanoke, Virginia, Curtis Turner, was declared the race's winner. The victory was the partying wild man's 21st checkered flag of the season in the convertible division. Turner dominated in that class. To this day, it stands as the only time in NASCAR history that only one car finished a race. All right. That's a mod history. That is. All, All right. right. Let's close, close up shop, boys. And girl. And girls. <laughs> Sorry, Leah. All right, guys. That's a great show. Uh, thanks for uh, Marcus Smith coming by. Pretty cool stuff. He dropped some, um, I think, some new news. He dropped some I think he got some things, got some new stuff to talk about, some new rumors floating around out there. I'm sure that Tor Bumper Clear is going to be all over figuring it out, getting to the bottom of it. Well, well, we at least we heard it from the horse's mouth. That's right.
All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. Have a great week. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.